So 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 1 to 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house he had built, the food at his table, the seating of his officials and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Moreover, the fleet of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir a great amount of almug wood and precious stones. And the king made of the almug wood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also lyres and harps for the singers. No such almug wood has come or been seen to this day. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desires, whatever she asked beside what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. Thank you, Kat. Well, this is the last sermon in the series so far in One Kings. We're going to stop after this, and then it's Christmas time and Christmas focus. And then in the new year, into the new year at some points in 2023, we will get back into One Kings. But let's think about this chapter together. I don't have to tell you that we live in a deeply troubled world. Particularly these days, it seems wherever you look, in whatever country, we have leaders who lack wisdom and they are bringing in policies or behaviors that are damaging. In the middle of this year, the government in Australia had to instruct a department to reinstate the word mother on a form because the word or the phrase birthing parents had come onto this form in in some area of health in Australia. There was a backlash. There was a particular journalist who was quite upset about this. And so the Aussie government put it back. They they said to that department, you've got to put mother back on the form. And so in this instance, I would say, good on you, Aussie government. That's, That's a good thing. But I am horrified that it got there in the first place. This kind of thing is supported by many leaders. 
And I would say to you that it's nothing short of stupid. It, I say stupid, but, but to be more accurate, it's actually evil because to talk like that and to act like that and to bring policies like that is to push back against the design of the living God. We have people in leadership who are bringing damage. The United States of America, the United States of America, some people now call the divided states of America. When you see the opposing sides talk to one another, they, they seem to talk with quite a lot of hate. There's depth of anger, whichever side you might be on. And uh, recently I was watching some old clips of debates and discussions that used to go on in the 1980s, in the time of Ronald Reagan. And it looked to me, as I looked at that stuff, that people used to disagree with good humor. And they would tease one another. And there would be a twinkle in the eye. They would make jokes. But that seems to be gone now. There seems to be so much anger. Imagine if instead of what we have now, and it's not just America, it's across the world. If, imagine if instead of that, we had leaders of great kindness and leaders of great wisdom. Imagine if we had leaders on the world stage that brought wisdom for all people. Right now, the international stage is not a happy place. And pretty much, if you go back through history, you can pick at it. But this morning, we come to an account of a time that was wonderful. The world did once have a good leader, a wise leader who was good for the world. He was a leader for the world. And that man was Solomon. He was deeply respected by his own people because they saw him at the beginning of his kingship. They saw him bringing justice in a profound way with shrewd wisdom. We saw this early in the series. It comes in 1 Kings 3.28 and we read this then. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered. And they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. You see, when you see a leader handle things so well, so wisely, bringing about justice like that, you feel settled. You feel secure under that leadership, and it's, it's a good feeling. But not only was Solomon a great figure in his own country, he was also a great figure internationally. His fame spread. It attracted foreign attention. And it seems from what we read that the whole known world came to him. So in chapter 10, have a look at verse 24. It says, And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Why would the peoples of the world come unless there is something outstanding, something exceptional about this man? Chapter 10 focuses on one of these world figures, the Queen of Sheba, the Queen of Sheba. It's the story of a grand state visit. The fact that this queen comes herself and doesn't just send some envoys, the fact she comes herself tells us 
that this story about Solomon is remarkable. We're told that her visit is such a big deal that verse 2 says she comes with a great retinue, a retinue, her traveling staff. But it doesn't just say she came with a retinue. It says that she came with a great retinue. In fact, it doesn't even just say that. If you look at the at the scripture there, it says that she came with a very great retinue. And so this woman has set out on a grand trip. This is a big deal for her and her nation. And then we read that she brought, <coughs> excuse me, camels loaded with spices and gold and precious stones. This is not just a curiosity trip. This isn't just a trip down the road uh, like a tourist. This woman is coming, this queen is coming to create a connection. Because if what she has heard about Solomon is true, then he would be a very good friend to have for her country. In verse 1, we are told that she came to test Solomon with hard questions. This doesn't mean that she was like an examiner, like a, a, a professor at a university coming to set some exam for you to see if you know the answers. It does not mean that she knew the answers and wanted to see how good he was. These are probably questions about things that she struggled with, difficult matters that she had in her mind about leading a nation. And we are told that she spoke to Solomon about all that was on her mind. And what does verse 3 say the response to all of this was? And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. I wonder if you have ever been around a person who has exceptional wisdom. It's, it's happened time and time again, so much that you know when you go to them with a, with a problem, they're going to help you through it. They're going to be able to cut through all the confusion. You know, a person who's not a people pleaser, a person who's not a sheep one who is able to bring out truth, one who is able to cut through all the chattering confusion that you've been hearing from all kinds of people, and they just put wisdom on the table, and you go, oh, obviously, wow, yes. That's a wonderful thing to be around. It's actually quite a beautiful thing to see. Well, how did the Queen of Sheba respond to Solomon's words of wisdom? And how did she respond to all that she saw going on in Israel? Pick it up in verse 4. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their uh, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord. In other words, everything that's going on, the whole system... So remarkable. What happened to the Queen of Sheba? How does that verse 5 end? It says, there was no more breath in her. It was breathtaking. I love that phrase, breathtaking, if it's a word or a phrase. I love it. I love that word. It's, It's so descriptive of something that has overwhelmed you that you breathe out all your breath. You release it from your lungs 
And for a moment, you probably stop breathing because you are amazed. You're astonished. The queen is not just amazed at the food and the servants and the clothing. You read on and you find that she is amazed also at the mood of the country. In verse 7, she says that the reports she had heard of are not half of what she's now actually seen as she's gone around. What she sees and hears surpasses what she heard in her country. And then in verse 8, she says this. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. This is so good for the whole country. It's a happy country. Can you imagine a country now in, the, in our world where everyone is happy, where everyone is secure, it's all, everyone's content? What she sees is wealth. She sees prosperity. She sees justice and righteousness, all the ingredients to make for a happy country. Her trip has been more worthwhile than she imagined. And so she gave these gifts of gold and spices and precious stones. We also read in verse 13 that Solomon gave her much, whatever she desired. And so a connection is formed between these two nations. And here you see Solomon being good, not just for Israel, but for the world. It's a lovely story. And it's not just a story about a great leader who is so good for the rest of the world, because actually Solomon is not the great one in the story. No, look at verse 1 again. What was the reason for her interest in this country and in Solomon? Yeah, she had heard of the fame of Solomon, but what was the reason for his fame? Verse 1 says, Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. You see, Solomon's fame is tied in with the name of the Lord. As we saw two weeks ago when we looked at this, that part of Kings, the Lord had settled his name in Israel. A name is how you know a person. If someone will not give you their name, you can't connect. You need to first know the name and then the relationship happens. And we were told in that part two weeks ago that God put his name in the temple so that the people could know God through the temple system. They could actually know God. And so this queen knows this man is connected to the Lord. He's not just some shrewd leader on the world stage. No, this man is in touch with heaven. And we can see that she knows that from verse 1. And what was her ultimate response then to everything that she saw, to everything that took her breath away? What was her response? Did she say, wow, Solomon, you are such a remarkable man. You are worthy of the highest regard. No, look at verse 9. What did she say? Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice 
and righteousness. What she sees brings her to worship the Lord. Do you think that she became a believer? That she perhaps just acknowledged that there's a God but didn't know him? Well, I think Jesus thinks that she became a believer. Have a listen to what he said when he spoke in Matthew 12 and from verse 42. And this is where Jesus is talking to the religious leaders who have opposed him, who didn't want to have any regard for Jesus, who had been doing miraculous things in their presence. They'd seen so much going on, and yet they still have the audacity to come to Jesus and say, you need to prove yourself. Show us a sign. And then Jesus says this in Matthew to them. He says, the queen of the south, that's the queen of Sheba, will rise up at the judgment. In other words, at the last time, the last day. She will rise up at the, at the judgment with this generation, with you guys, and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And that's the wisdom of Solomon that comes from God as she acknowledges. And then Jesus says, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. This woman heard great things. She took the trouble to come and see for herself. These people, when Jesus was around, have it right in front of them. And they refuse to believe. And so no wonder, but earlier on, Jesus called them an evil generation. Evil generation. God had always meant to bless the nations through Israel. And, and, and when you read through your Bible, this comes up at many times in the Old Testament. But where is God's name to be found now? Where is glorious Israel now? Certainly isn't the Israel we know today. That's not that Israel. Where is this King Solomon now? He's no longer there. And as we already have been touching on, there were cracks in Solomon and he was never going to last. He was not perfect. Our world is in bad need of blessing. And God has promised to bless the world through Israel, through a king. So who is the true king for the world? Solomon was just a shadow of the real thing. Even Solomon prayed for a future king, for one who would rule forever, one to whom the nations would bring their gifts and bow. He prayed for that. You can read that in Psalm 72, and I want to read to you, it'll come on the screen, just a portion of that. This is Solomon saying in a prayer, May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. That is Solomon's prayer for the future. And then in Isaiah 60 verse 6, here's a prophecy about the future king. And I'm just picking just a little, little portion. You can read it yourself later on and see how much is in there. But just verse 6 of chapter 60 The prophet says, a multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. So you have the nations coming, bowing before this future king, bringing all these gifts. 
and they are praising the Lord. This is good news. The praise of God, extolling his wonders and his virtues. The prophecy about someone in the future. And now, please turn with me in your Bibles, if you have one. Otherwise, listen carefully. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. Remember, we have a prayer that King Solomon prayed about the future. We have a prophecy about the future. And then in Matthew 2, verses 1 to 2, we read this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, And have come to worship him. And then jump down to verse 11. Now they find where he is. They follow the star. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. The life of Jesus starts out gloriously. We have in the story angels appearing and then this that I've read, these great men from foreign lands coming to bow before him and bringing gifts. And then as the story of Jesus continues, we find that as a a young boy, when his parents couldn't find him, where was he? He was in the temple and he was teaching the theologians, the, the doctorate holders, the stuff of the Bible to everyone's astonishment. And so even as a young boy, he's remarkably wise. He has the answers. He's greater than Solomon. And then it goes on in the story of Jesus. And of course, we find him performing many miracles. And in one of those miracles, we see him calming that storm. We know that story well, if we've been reading our Bibles. He calms the storm and he just says to the storm, be quiet, be still. And the amazing thing is that there's instant calm. And when all that happened, do you remember how the disciples reacted? They said, who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? These are astonished people. I would would guess they were breathtaking. They were amazed. Not only were his words and his teachings so wise, but his words even had power to make things happen. When else has that happened in the Bible, where someone speaks and things come to be? The God of creation spoke our world into existence. And so we have this remarkable man, Jesus. As the queen marveled at King Solomon, and more at the Lord of Solomon, at the God of Solomon, so we believers should be a people who marvel at our king, at King Jesus, who is gloriously risen from the dead. He's conquered death and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty in heaven in that position of rule, that position of executive power. And he's coming back to to uh, exert his blessed rule in this world for the good of this world. And yes, there's justice involved. He must execute justice against all those who have rebelled against him, who refuse to come to his mercy. But when that day comes, it's all good and it's, it's, it's a blessing for the world. And so 
I want to ask you, if you are a believer, do you marvel at King Jesus? The queen was amazed at King Solomon, but behind that she was amazed at the God behind that man. Do you look forward to the day when all the confusion and all the stupidity and the evil of our day and back through history, when all that is going to vaporize and he will rule the new world in perfect wisdom. We have a wonderful king, someone before whom we, we bow in amazement. And then I want to talk to you and ask you if you don't believe, I want to say unbeliever, why don't you believe? Why don't you say, like the queen of Sheba, blessed be the Lord your God. She took the trouble to look into what she had been hearing. I would ask you, if you're not a believer, have you taken the trouble to investigate the claims about this man who conquered the grave and by raising, who conquered death by rising from the grave? He claims to be able to give you everlasting life. And it seems if you look at history that that really did happen. The evidence is strong without the Bible even. If you just look at history, this man rose from the grave. He says he can give you eternal life. If it is even remotely possible that you can have eternal life, you would be a fool not to at least go and investigate it. So many people just write it off or just put it off as myth and nonsense. And they haven't even looked what the Queen of Sheba did. I'd encourage you to look. Nothing is more important than your soul. What's going to happen to your soul when you breathe your last breath? Solomon was magnificent, but he had a diseased heart. You know, our delight in the Lord, our wonder in him can easily be pulled away by other things. We have been looking now at the height of Solomon's reign, but it didn't last. He fell for other things. And we've already seen as we've traveled through 1 Kings, cracks in this man. He's, he's not perfect. And as we go on, we'll see these cracks are particularly in the areas of money, sex, and power. And in chapter 9, verse 4, the Lord had told Solomon to guard his heart. He said this to him in, in 4 and 5. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David your father, saying you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel, if you guard your heart. The rest of chapter 10 focuses on how money gripped this man's heart. He did not guard his heart. You read through the rest of chapter 10 and the word gold comes up again and again. Verse 14 tells us that the weight in gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents. It, it, is a, it is tons and tons of gold and we are told that was besides gold coming to him from other sources. We read that he made large shields of gold for display. We, made that, we read that he made a throne out of, out of um, using gold to make a spectacular throne. And in verse 21, we are told that all his drinking vessels were of gold. So there's gold everywhere. And then we were, told, we were told in verse 22 that silver was not considered anything of, of importance in Solomon's days. 
The point is he was just so rich. He was the bling king. Look at the opulence in verse 22. This, it's just dripping with it. For the king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea with the fleet of Hiram, who is the king in the north. Once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. I wonder what he needed apes for. I've been thinking about that a lot. His ships go to faraway places and bring back outlandish things. And near the end of the chapter, he has, we see he has chariots and he has horsemen, horses. Look at verse 29. It seems he's running something of an arms business for the other nations and he's making money out of this. 29. A chariot could be imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And so through the king's traders, they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. So he's got a business going and money is pouring in. Is this really a problem? It's nothing not wrong to make money. Is Why can't he do this? Well, the question I'd put to you is, what did God's law say about the kings that the people would have one day? This law that God gave hundreds of years before in the time of Moses. What did it say? Well, Deuteronomy 17, 16 to 17 says this about the time when there would be kings. It says only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. You see, they've left Egypt. Egypt was where they were slaves under oppression. God is their provider and he has rescued them. And they need to look to him. But no, not to go back to Egypt for help. Carry on reading. It says, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. That's the law that God had given. And when you carry on reading that, that part in Deuteronomy, it says that the king was to have a copy of this law with him that he would read regularly. So he, he he should know this. And so, yes, Solomon, it is a problem that you're getting all of this gold and it is a problem that you're going to Egypt to buy in these chariots and these horses. You are being disobedient. You're a man whose heart desires other things and is getting that getting worse and worse and worse. We need to think about this, how we need to guard our hearts because the allure of money is so powerful. Money is a good gift, but it's a dangerous gift. The Bible frequently warns us that money can lead us to think too little of God and so much more of ourselves. And so we need to ask uh, as, as a people who live in a, in a prosperous country, as a people who are generally pretty prosperous, we need to ask how much of our time is taken dwelling on money, thinking about money, dreaming about money, worrying about money. How often do you say to yourself, you know, wouldn't it be nice if I could have that new car? Wouldn't it be nice if I could have that new, uh, new kitchen, that new house, that that's, uh, that trip, just because I just wanted, I wanted, I wanted. Again, it's not wrong to, to, to have things. 
But where is its place in, in your life? Where it, is it in terms of priorities? Is that the thing that is your delight and your joy? And then that's what consumes and fills you, that space in your heart. No wonder the church is given a special warning. It says this in 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. It's a word to the church and it says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And so the question is, how's your heart? How's your heart, Christian? It says in this text from Timothy that generous giving will help to guard our hearts from drifting away from living for the Lord into living for money. And so as we bring all this together, I want to point out to you that chapter 10 is telling us to delight in Jesus, in King Jesus. He's the breathtaking one. He's our king and he's our God. Only in him will we find true happiness, as the Queen of Sheba has shown with the shadow that Solomon was with God behind him. Jesus is the good king, and he's also the Lord God. And in him... We know God. We have his name. We have a relationship with the living God. And so in him, we are truly happy and we can live in this life according to his wisdom, no matter what comes against us. In that is true happiness. Even through the hard times, he is there with us in the struggles and the difficulties. And then we look forward to eternity when everything will be perfect and we will live forever in utter delight and joy. And so delight in Jesus Delight in Jesus and watch out for money. Don't turn from delighting in the Lord because you delight rather in money. Let's pray. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for speaking to us in the Bible. We don't want to be like King Solomon who had a copy and he either blatantly ignored it or didn't read it. We want to live according to your word, for it has truth for the good of our soul. And we want to delight in Jesus. Would you help us to turn away from the things that would cause us to stray, in this chapter particularly money. And may may our delight, our joy, our treasure be our Lord, King Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen.